hopefully kind of catches you up on a few things there. Um, and so with that, we're going to uh, uh, kind of get back to David. Uh, this is the penultimate Sunday of our look through the life of David. We started in January. We will end next week at our service that is at 10 o'clock. And, and so we're, we're almost done. And so today uh, we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 22. Now, this is a really long one. Last week, if you were here, you know, it was really long. I decided to read it anyways. Uh, I'm not going to read all of this. It is 51 verses. Uh, and so uh, you can read the rest of it on your own if you want to. I'm going to simply read the first 20 verses. So I invite you to hear these words. Here's how it begins. David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of perdition assailed me, the cords of shale entangled me, the snares of death confronted me, and in my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I called, and from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears." Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and reeled because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him, a canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of brightness, out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He reached from on high. He took me. He drew me out of mighty waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They came upon me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. And he brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. And sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would speak through this song. That these words, Lord, these powerful words would not overcome us but would indwell us. But in them, Lord, we would see you and we would see our lives in you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So a couple weeks ago, ZPC or Jim Cochran, who uh, helps to co-teach along with Pastor Stan, one of our Sunday school classes, he emailed me to ask whether or not we were going to be looking at any more Psalms during this series on David. And he's teaching a class on Psalms right now. And I said to him, well, no. 
and yes. And the reason I said no to him was because of the fact that we really are just looking at 2 Samuel over these next couple of weeks, uh, uh, including last week. And today, obviously, we're looking at 2 Samuel 22. But yes, because of the fact that by and large, with just a few kind of small differences, 2 Samuel 22 is the same as Psalm 18. Did you know that? I have to admit, I said I wouldn't admit this on live stream. I don't think I even knew that. I didn't realize that here we have the same thing twice. And you can go back, you can look at it right now if you want to. But Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22, virtually the exact same. And people think that the reason probably why they ended up putting it here at the very end of the story um, of, uh, of David is because of the fact that this is trying to give us a theological understanding. This is towards the end of David's life, uh, and they want us to understand kind of how does he understand God, and how does he understand himself in the midst of God, right? Primarily 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel gives us the prose, the, the, the narrative of David's life. But here they almost take a psalm, and they, they, they stick it right here at the end so that we can understand why David is as he is. What is his theology? his understanding of God and the world. And, and one of the things, again, that we've talked about several times during our series over these last few months is this reality that the reason why David is a man after God's own heart is not because he was morally flawless. We know that by now. But it's because, as we've said many times, he was always dealing with God. What does that mean? Well, another way to say this is is I think that David always understood, he didn't always follow God, but he always understood that his life was ultimately found in the life of God. Uh, I was thinking about that, an image that, kinda, that, that I kind of had is, you know, we've talked a little bit about the tapestry of God and, and the tapestry of God's kingdom, or we could say the tapestry of God's story. And if it's like a timeline, you can kind of see each of our lives and kind of follow it back. But, but I also want us to picture kind of, if God's story is more like a river, right? And you see this river of God and, and David had his own life, his own river. But what David understood is that his life uh, when he would flourish the most was when he would not wait and, and see if God's river would come over, but when he would dive in with his whole body, his whole life, when he would dive into this story of God. David was really remarkably good at not dichotomizing his life from God's life. Oftentimes we wrestle with that. We have church life and then we have the quote real world or we have our faith life and then we have our, our business life and our play life. But what David was really good at saying, no, 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 there's not all these different stories. He said, my life is best found in God, right? Which begins, of course, then with this river of God. And that's how David begins this story or this song. He says that God is, is the rock. He's the fortress. He's a deliverer. He's a rock in whom David takes refuge, the shield and the horn of his salvation, the stronghold and the refuge, his savior. In other words, David begins with understanding very clearly the sovereignty of God, that everything he has and everything that he is is found most fully within the story of who God is. It begins there. But now here's what's important to understand is that this isn't a, a river in which God is just happy to have his story just kind of go on without us. Rather, God desires us to find our story in him, which is why God listens to us. Did you hear what David said here? David says this. He says, 
For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of perdition assailed me. The cords of shale entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. Right? He could have just said, hey, I'm in a tough spot here, right? You know, but, but David doesn't do that because David's a poet, right? And he's a singer. He's a musician. David wants to see the beauty of this language. And he says, he says all these things. And then he says, but God, in the midst of all of that, God delivers me. And this is what he says. God delivers me because, please hear this, because he delights in me. Now, I want to take just a moment to take a brief detour. As I was reading over this psalm, as I was reading over uh, uh, this Second Samuel commentary, things like this, I don't know, maybe I missed it, but I don't ever remember anyone spotlighting this part of it. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't even think about it until yesterday afternoon. It's not really even written in my notes here. I was amazed at how quickly I went past that, but I don't want to go past that. I want to stop right here for a moment, and I want to say this again. The reason why God delivers him is because God delights in David. Do you know this? Do you know, do you believe that God delights in you? Do you know that? We tend to go past that, right? We tend to say, I do as well. Okay, what what do I need to do for God? How can I, what can I do for God? What can I do? You know, what's wrong? What's, you know, what can I confess? What can all these, and all those things are fine. But it always begins with this. God could have just sat there in his own river, his own story, his own life, but God wanted us to be a part of it. And do you know why? Because God delights in you. I hate it when preachers do this, but I'm going to do it to you anyways. I want us all, when I count to three, I want you to say this, and I want you to say it, and I want you to think this to be true. I want you to say, when I count to three, God delights in me. Are you ready? One, two, three. God delights in me. That's a beautiful thing. God delights in you. I focused on this so much and I can't remember where else I'm going to go. It doesn't matter. God delights in you. But now here's the thing. What David realizes is that that's wonderful and he's in this stream, but there's another part of this that comes out here as well, which is that we also have this great gift, which is that we get to participate in this as well. It's not like we are just floating down this river, right? It's a little bit like a lazy river. Do you guys love a lazy river? I think a lazy river is a, is a gift from the Almighty. And I love the lazy river. And when you're just kind of floating down, that's fine, right? But if you ever kind of hopped off it and you try to like go back and try to find like where your people are, it can be kind of hard actually, right? Even though it's kind of quote lazy, it can be hard to go against the stream. But then when you turn around, you can begin, you can just like jump up a little bit and all of a sudden you're down like five or ten feet and you jump a little bit and it's amazing, right? This is the way that you can participate in the lazy river, right? I think that what David understands this as well is that when he's in this story, he also gets to participate in it. And when he's doing so, do you know what he feels like? He feels like this. He says this in verse 30. I didn't read it, so you'll have to just uh, bear with it. He says this. He says, he says, by God, I can outrun a troop, a military troop. I can run faster than a military troop. And I can, by God, he says, I can leap over a wall. 
You get this sense right, that when David knows that he's participating in the story of God, there is nothing that can stop him. He's just jumping and he can feel it, right? And it continues to go on. He says, you know what? God opens up wide my way. And then he goes on and he says, and my feet can be secure even up on the heights. Now I want to stop there for just a moment. Um, when, we were, uh, when we were in Israel this past summer, we were at, at this waterfall, uh, and it was beautiful. I don't know why I keep saying this summer. It wasn't this summer. It was February. And there was this waterfall, and it was warm. Maybe it felt like summer. And there was this waterfall, and we were looking up at these, these cliffs, and, and Jeff Carroll was kind of our tour guide. He's like, you know, there are these deer. They're called Ibex. They can, they can just kind of hop down these cliffs like no problem. And I thought to myself, no, they can't. Because, I mean, these were like really sheer cliffs. I mean, it was remarkable, these cliffs. I was like, if there's an Ibex, this thing is going to die. There's no question about it. And, and, and so I have a picture of the Ibex right here. Uh, someone gave me, you could tell they're pretty camouflaged. Can you see it there? Yeah, I mean, look at those hoofs. They're like hard. Like, how could they do that, right? But almost as if, you know, he had hired these Ibex um, to do this. Right about the time he talked about that, all of a sudden they came down. Now, I have a video of it. Now, now the video is, it's pretty good, um, but it doesn't show the most difficult part. But I at least want you to see a little bit of what I'm talking about. Uh, go ahead, Rachel, we can see that. Uh, and you can see, you see him, like, look at him just kind of running down this thing, right? But up above that, even more so, I mean, the cliffs were incredibly just like vertical. It was remarkable. And the thing is, not only do they go down, they so often go with great grace, right? So you'll see this one, I think it's going to hop up. And it's just kind of like, hey, no problem. And it just kind of springs up, like no problem, right? And there were not even any carcasses down at the bottom. Like there, it was amazing. Thank you, Rachel. But here's that, you know, and so here's, as, as I saw that, it was like this amazing, so that when David is sitting there and he's like, I could be like this deer, like this Ibex, and it's just kind of, it's just gracefully running down. This is what happens, right, when we are participating in the story of God, when we realize that all of our story is found in God, when we're not trying to say, oh, I, got, I got my God life, and I got my church life, and then I got my real life, and I got my work life. No, 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 I got my home life. No, no, no. It's all together, and when we are participating in it, it's not that there's no struggles, but we begin to feel the flow of that. It's this remarkable thing. And David had this remarkable ability to be able to feel that. That's why he says, I can leap over a wall. Now, how is David able to do this? It's a great question. Uh, Eugene Peterson says that David's able to do this because he has such a, a pervasive, a saturated view of God that he sees God wherever he goes I think that probably David, if I had to guess, um, I'm not a psychologist, but I'd say he's probably, he's probably more of a right-brained kind of person, David, right? He, he's a musician, as we see. He's a, he's a poet, right? He loves that. But one of the other attributes, great attributes of a right brain, is they're really good at imagining. They have wonderful imaginations. And if you're more of a left brain like I am, it can be really hard to imagine things. We're not necessarily always good at that. But, but he has this great ability. And I want to suggest that one of the things that, that makes David unique, one of the reasons he's able to do this, and one of the things that we need to cultivate, and I've been talking about this since the very first Sunday, is he is able to imagine himself in Scripture in ways in which many of us, I think, kind of struggle to do so. We tend to read the Bible from a distance, if you will, a safe space, and David dives all the way in. As he dives into the story of God, he dives into Scripture. So I want us to think about this, uh, verses 8 through 20. I'm not going to read all of it. I just want you to hear a little bit of these words. He says this, he says, Then the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the heavens trembled. 
trembled and reeled because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He made darkness around him a canopy, thick clouds a gathering of water. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare. There's this great kind of imagery. And when scholars kind of look at this, they, you know, some of them would suggest that a part of this comes out because of it's very much comes out of like Genesis and Exodus, this kind of this, this creative thinking about the way in which God works and trying to describe what does that look like and that it kind of comes out of that one one uh, one one, one um, a commentator even suggests that this is really kind of a rendering of, of in many ways of, of exodus and and kind of coming through the red sea and then of of moses at mount sinai and and so we have this whole sense that you know all of a sudden that in many ways what david is doing is that at least this rendering of god at work comes out of his being soaked in scripture and seeing the different ways in god works and and perhaps it's even a summary of of genesis or exodus but then here's what i want you to realize that after describing this kind a way that God works and, and the ways in which we see God work in Scripture, then David goes on and he says this. He says, God reached from on high and he took me. He drew me out of the mighty waters. He delivered me from the strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. Do you see what's happening? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, this becomes the story that's kind of cultivated from David being soaked in Scripture. And all of a sudden, David is participating in that story. As someone has said, David, when he looks at this timeline, he doesn't look at it like a chronological timeline of the story of God, but that what Moses and David is happening at the exact same time in David's mind, right? That there is this sense that all of a sudden the same God who was doing all of these remarkable things for Moses, for the Israelites, that it is the exact same God who will do that for him. David is all in. He is immersed in Scripture so much so that he cannot read it from afar. Rather, he dives into it and he begins to look around, as we've said, and he sees himself in the middle of that, which means he sees God doing the same thing to him that God has done to others in Scripture. Now, why, why is that significant? One of the reasons I think it's significant is that the more that you are immersed in Scripture, the more that when you go out, you will begin to see things differently. Um, Harry Potter. I know that's what you were expecting me to say right there. Now, Harry Potter. Now, now I realize that not everybody uh, uh, likes Harry Potter, and not all Christians think we should read Harry Potter, including some in my family, so hopefully they won't actually watch this. Um, I really enjoyed Harry Potter quite a bit. And, and, and one of the things that I noticed when I was reading Harry Potter is that I would read it, and J.K. Rowling is really good at, at, at helping you to imagine a whole different world, right? And I could remember, I mean, you just read it, and you're so focused on it. It's like nothing else is happening, right? And you're just, you're all in, right? But now here's what happens, at least it did to me. When I closed the book and I left, you know what I didn't stop thinking about? Harry Potter, it's not like I closed it and then I went on with the rest of my life. When I started going out, it was the weirdest thing, right? But I would just be thinking, right? If I couldn't find my keys, I'd be like, Accio keys to see if they would come to me, right? 
Because that's what you do if you, can't, if you want something to come to you. You just do that, right? Or if, if I was in a dark place, you know, I, I, I couldn't see, you know, I, I would be like, oh, if only I had a wand, you know, I could say Lumos, and then I could see everything, and that would be amazing, you know? I was in Scotland when I was reading some of these books, and I'd go to an actual train station, and I would be looking for platform nine and three quarters to see if maybe there's a, a platform here. It's in, you have to read it perhaps. But the point is, hey, it was a little weird, but because I was so immersed in the story, when I went out, I began to look for things that were in the store. I didn't have to think about, am I going to do this? It just kind of naturally began to come. Why? Because I was so immersed in the story. What do we see with David? David is so immersed in Scripture that when he goes out, do you know what he begins to see? He begins to see God. What do I mean? This passage is full of metaphors. Did you hear them? Lots of metaphors, fortresses, refuges, right? Refuges. But here's the other thing. The most used one is a rock. Again and again and again, throughout this particular song, it is a rock. The Lord is my rock, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. And who is a rock except our God? Blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. Now, why is David always talking about rocks when it comes to God? Well, one reason, of course, and it's the only reason I never really thought about, was that it's because it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's strong, it's hard, it's, you know, it's important to put your foundation on the rock, and now that makes sense and I think is true. But I'm, I'm pretty convinced that another reason why David is always talking about rocks is because of this. Do you know what there are a lot of in Israel? Rocks. Rocks, right? So there's rocks. Pretty exciting. Let's see what the next one. This is going to be really, yeah, see? What do you see? Rocks, right? And then we, got, we have one more. And yeah, I know. I like that that spices it up a little bit more. But there's still rocks, all around, right? This is not any of, any of us who went on the trip. This was uh, just a random cow. So, but rocks, rocks, rocks. In fact, our, our tour guide, he told us this. Uh, he said, you know, in Israel, they say that God had 10 massive buckets of rocks when he was making creation, and he gave nine of them, and he put them in Israel, and the rest of the world uh, uh, just shared the one bucket. Why? There are rocks everywhere. Why do I bring this up? Because you know what? When David was immersed in Scripture, when he was all in, when he was imagining himself there, when he went out, he was always looking to see where God was because he was so soaked in it. And what he saw all the time were rocks, and it reminded him of God as his foundation, but it also reminded him of this reality that God is everywhere. Right? When he was out shepherding, when he was at war, that God was everywhere, just like the omnipresent rocks. But what else did it do? It helped him so that whenever he went out, he was always thinking about God. Because if you say to yourself, when I see a rock, I'm going to remember God. Well, when he goes out, he's always seeing rocks. It began to shape everything. It's not just a random metaphor. It's because it's something that he saw all the time. Eugene Peterson, I've been bringing him up, up so much uh, in this particular sermon series that people have been talking to me more about him. And, and someone about a month ago sent me an, an interview done with him several years ago now. And in that interview, someone asked him about praying. How do you pray? And he said, well, you know, he didn't really want to say how, why he prayed and, or how he prayed because he didn't want people to think there's just one way to do it. But he said, okay, fine, I'll tell you. He memorized seven psalms and assigned each one to a particular day of the week. 
But now these were difficult psalms, as he said. In fact, I went back. I didn't remember this when I first listened to it a month ago. One of them is Psalm 18. One of them is this psalm. 51 verses and not easy, right? But he wanted it like that. And the reason why he wanted to work at it so that that way, of course, what would happen? It would begin to be soaked deeper and deeper into who he was. And when he then went out, it began to be a lens through which he saw the world. It wasn't like he had to take a scripture and then go out and be like, okay, is there something going on here? That No, no, no. It was this reality that he had, so, he had been so immersed in it that when he went out, he began to see differently. Everything began to change. You see, I was raised in such a way, and I love the way I was raised, but I was raised oftentimes in a way Here's the negative, which is that we would just read scripture and it was just kind of like getting through it. You just got to, you got to get through it, get through it in a year, which is a great thing to do. We went through the New Testament in a year. It's a wonderful thing to do. You have to do that first. However, remember what we also say about scripture, which is that, that it's something that we meditate on. Remember the image that we were given of that? Because it's kind of, which is that it's like in Hebrew, it's like gnawing, like a dog gnawing on a bone, right? You remember, you, if you've seen one, you know that they don't just kind of gnaw on it. They like love it. Remember we thought, <laughs> and they just love it, right? And it's drooly, it's disgusting, right? But they just love it, right? I mean, they just love it so much. I love it, right? That that's a part of what you do, right? With the scripture. And, and this is what's so important is that, that the more that you begin to do that, it begins to shape the rest of your life so that when you go out, you begin to see the world differently and you begin to see how it's all a part of the story of God so that you are not living your church life and then your business life or your, your real life life. It all begins to be seen through that same lens. So how do we do this practically? How do we live like David in a more practical way? Let me just give you a couple of suggestions. And I would, I would, I would encourage you to not try to take all these, try to come up with one thing. One of them, of course, is to actually just really get to know a particular psalm, maybe Psalm 18. And so maybe, maybe you just take one suggestion would be you, you, you say, I'm going to read two verses on today, and then tomorrow I'm going to read those two verses and two more, and then the next time I read those two verses and two more, and in less than four weeks, you will have read through the psalm again and again, and you, perhaps you'll even begin to memorize it as you begin to do that again and again as a way of just saying, I'm not just going to kind of buzz through it and get to Psalm 19. I'm going to just live, and I'm going to soak in this psalm and see what happens when I do so, and see if my imagination doesn't begin to be shaped differently. Another option might be to do what David has kind of done, or it seems that he's done uh, here in verses 8 through 20, which is to, to write out a story that you know well. What is, what's your favorite story in the Bible? I would suggest that whatever your favorite story is, there's a great likelihood that there's significance for you for a specific reason of why you love it so much. And maybe, maybe it's a story, let's just say it's a story of Paul and Silas, right? Do you remember that? They're in prison and, and they begin to sing and all of a sudden the chains are broken and maybe that's your story. And so you write out in your own words, just write it. I'm just going to write out this story in my own words. And then you put yourself in there and you begin to say, and all of a sudden I began to sing and the chains of addiction or the chains of anxiety or the, the chains of fear or the chains of consumerism or the chains of loneliness or whatever else it may be, whatever sin or brokenness is your chain, that you just write that out. I mean, literally just write it out. Take some time because then it becomes more a part of who you are and you begin to see yourself. This is how we interact with Scripture. We're not changing Scripture. We're not adding this at the end of Revelation or anything 
anything. But what we do allow us to do is that when you do that, it begins to allow Scripture to start to change you. This is how, by this interaction with this beautiful Scripture, with God's Word, the final final thing that we might want to think about doing is coming up for yourself with a metaphor. What's a good metaphor for you that you actually see daily, right? I mean, there are rocks around, but we don't have nearly as many rocks. But we got other things. We got corn. So maybe where you drive, maybe you see corn. And maybe the corn is what you think about. And you think about the different seasons of corn and the harvest and all those things. And when you see that, it reminds you of God. And why does it remind you of God? And for the different ways that God, you know, goes out and plants seed, the parables that he tells, whatever it might be. But whenever you see it, then all of a sudden you begin to remember that. Um, Maybe you're a dentist. I was reading something this week that talked about, um, well, not maybe you are. I mean, I guess if you are, you really are one. Let's hope. But, uh, and apparently they, they give teeth numbers. Did you know that? I mean, I probably should number, know this, but they give teeth specific numbers. So one dentist, she, um, whenever uh, she would uh, clean a particular tooth, she would assign a specific number to a specific person, right? Maybe number two, maybe I'd say, I'd say tooth number three was her husband for whatever reason. And, and whenever she was working on tooth number three, she was always thinking about God and that person and was praying for them, right? This is a way of, you know, dentists work with teeth. And so they see a lot of Teeth, not a trick question. And so when, if you can have it be something like that, something that you see a lot, right? Maybe you're a teacher, and every time that you call out a student's name, you are remembering how Jesus called the disciples and how he calls you. So that every time that you say John or Susan or, or whatever it may be, that that's all of a sudden you're remembering how God calls you. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, and, and so what you see a lot of are dirty diapers, and, and you use a lot of wipes. And maybe every time that you use a wipe and you see a wipe, you are reminded of how Christ um, makes you clean, you know? Uh, and so you just think about that, right? And every time you do it, right, all of a sudden you remember this thing, this attribute about God. The, the trick is to have it be something where you actually see, something that you interact with time and time again. Because as you do so, then you begin to be shaped differently. These are these little things that we can do to allow ourselves to become more immersed now, I would encourage you, don't try to do all of those things today. Just come up with one of those things. Take one small step. Because each step that we take gets us closer and deeper into this river, into the story of God. And the more steps we take, the more likely we are to begin to realize and discern and believe that we can, with these steps, at some point, even leap over a wall. Why? Because we are a part of the story of God, a God who delights in each and every one of us. For God's glory and for his glory alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we know how to read your scripture. But the question I think that perhaps we need to wrestle with is how do we allow Scripture to read us? And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see, to experience what it means to be immersed in your incredible story. A story that tells us how you delight in us. A story that tells us that you, you have chosen not to live life without us, but you call us to be with you. Lord, may we be more and more immersed in what it means 
to be a part of this story, a part of your word. And in so doing, might it change the way that we see everything. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.